good morning again. A uh, real quick follow-up on uh, Tammy's announcement regarding the regional conference. Uh, so let me give you a little more detail. Uh, the Vineyard Movement is a, for most of you know this, I'll just quick review, group of churches. Uh, we, we try to avoid using the word denomination as much as possible, although I don't have a better one. Uh, we're a group of churches, uh, worldwide really, and um, every two years we gather together internationally, the whole Vineyard Movement in the U.S., and then on the odd year, which is this year, we meet regionally. And so all of the churches that are in our region, which is kind of uh, Washington, Oregon, Northern California, I think it includes, I don't know, Alaska, Hawaii, and a few other random places, but in any case, that's this summer, and uh, Tammy is correct in that we're, we're fortunate and blessed, really, that it's local, because otherwise, to go to this event, you not only have to, you know, take time off work, but you have to drive somewhere, get a hotel, eat out, do all that. Locally, I, I think it's well, Wilsonville is well within driving distance for most of us, so you can avoid some of those costs. Uh, I, I would greatly, greatly encourage all of you to do everything you can to take a day or two off of work and try to be at this event. If you're new to the Vineyard, I think it'll really help you get a feel for who we are as, as a movement. If you've been around for a while, I think it's also encouraging I always love these events, to be quite honest, for the relationship as much as anything else, just to get together with uh, friends and family that I haven't seen in a while and meet new people. Uh, I, I think it's exciting uh, just on that level. Uh, but beyond that, uh, I, I think our national director, Phil Strout, will be there sharing with us. Uh, and Phil is a great guy. If you have, Most of the guys have heard him because he's spoken at a couple of men's retreats. Uh, Phil is a fantastic guy. I love the fact that Phil is the national director, and he's just down to earth. He's just a regular guy. He's not some muckety-muck up somewhere. He's very relatable, very funny, uh, just a very authentic, real person. So Phil will be there, as well as a couple other people that I think you guys will enjoy. A dear friend of mine, Lance Pitluck, who is currently and has been since the, we left 20 years ago, the pastor of the Vineyard in Anaheim, the church that Don and I came from. Uh, Lance is a dear friend, and he'll be here with us that week. And then I'm kind of excited. There's a young couple... Eric and Julia Pickerel that will be sharing, both of them. Eric and Julia uh, were church planters in um, Amsterdam. Thank you. That's what happens. I lost it for a moment. Uh, for several years, and I, I've heard both of them speak in different settings in the past. Uh, they're exciting. They've got a story to tell and uh, a tremendous, tremendous heart for the kingdom of God. They also represent a slightly younger demographic in our movement, so I'm always glad when somebody under 50 is sharing. Um, although those guys are getting close to that number, I think. So anyway, registration, as Tammy said, vineyardnw.com. Uh, I would encourage you guys to the best of your ability to take a day or two off work and try to be there for that. If you can help out, when she said volunteer, we need people to help with things like welcome and concierge sort of stuff, parking lot, um, just different things like that. One session, two sessions, it's not all week. Uh, if you can spare a couple hours even, uh, sign up. Darlene will contact you and, and put that all in place for you. So there you go. All right. Those of you that didn't know, I had uh, knee replacement done last week. So that's why I'm doing the old man thing and sitting down today. Uh, appreciate all of your prayers, concern, and some of you, some of you mockery during this process. Um, it's been fun. Uh, this is the first of two. I, I got this knee done now, and then in the fall I'm going to get the other one done, and then by next year I'll be completely bionic. So 
uh, be able to leap tall buildings with a single bound and chase my grandkids around. That's the real goal. So if you have not been with us, we have been the last, uh, I think, two months or so in a series called Blessed Revolution through the Beatitudes. Uh, first little bit of the Sermon on the Mount there, Matthew chapter 5. And we're actually going to wrap that series up today. Today will be the last message in this series, Blessed Revolution. Uh, just uh, by way of review real quickly, you remember that uh, as we look at the Beatitudes, those are like signs along the road. They're, they're indications. Uh, when, the, when the Beatitudes are manifest, when we see those characteristics manifest in our life, they're indications that we're going the right direction. Uh, They're not commandments. They're not ethical statements or declarations that we're trying to accomplish. What they really are is simply descriptors of what a disciple of Jesus looks like. If you're following Jesus, uh, these will be the natural consequences of your life. The outflows, so to speak, of that relationship with Christ will be what we see in the Beatitudes. Um, I want to point something out here that I think is important. That's sort of the, the, the 10 verses there. I think that's verse 1 through 10, maybe 2 through 10. But if you look at the first one, is blessed in the poor spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Jesus here is using a uh, kind of a, a rhetorical sort of literary device called an inclusio. It's common in, in Scripture. Uh, we see this... this device used at different places. And what inclusio means is simply this. It's like a frame. And so when the first and the last thing are, are repeated, when the last item on a list is repeated uh, from the first item, what that means essentially is that everything in between is included in that. And so what, what he's saying here is that the blessing that comes to us uh, in each of the Beatitudes is the kingdom of God. When we receive comfort, that's a manifestation of the kingdom of God in our lives. When we, when we are filled, that is a manifestation of the kingdom of God in our lives. When we see God, that is a manifestation of the kingdom of God in our lives. So the conclusion, and, and, and really this is probably the conclusion of the series and sort of the bottom line in this, is that the blessedness of following Jesus is the kingdom of God. When we follow after Jesus in uh, with our lives, when we set the course of our life, our direction is following after Him, the blessedness we have will be the kingdom of God manifest in and through our lives. Uh, that's, that's what will happen. The, the, the rule of God, the kingdom of God is the rule of God, and the rule of God will be upon our, our lives. The, the natural consequences of following Jesus will be the kingdom of God. Um, discipleship, we talked about this being, the Beatitudes being the trademarks of discipleship. Discipleship is submitting your life to him and living your life out in obedience to him. And the consequence of that is that you will be then under his rule. His, his reign will rule in your life rather than some other reign. Um, and, and again, the, 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 that's the consequence of following Jesus. It's It's there are, it's, what we get for following him, it's not a reward. There's not external rewards. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, I used the illustration, you know, if you eat your vegetables, you get your ice cream. No, it's not a reward. God's not rewarding us for good behavior. To be honest, that idea is really not the gospel. 
Um, the, the gospel is if we cultivate a life that's in sync with God now, that we'll reap a life that's in sync with him uh, in eternity. That, that's the natural consequence of following Jesus. And, and that brings up another point I want to mention as far as a kingdom dynamic here is this, and, and, um, and, and this, we talk about the now and the not yet of the kingdom. You're familiar with the, that term? Uh, s- sometimes the, you ask, the question comes, are these blessings, are they for now or are they for later? If we're talking about the kingdom of heaven, we're talking about inheriting the earth, we're talking about being filled with righteousness, we're talking about being showed mercy. Are those things going to happen now in this life or are those for another life, uh, a life yet to come? And the answer is yes. It's It's both. It's both and. It's not one or the other. That's the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is now and not yet. Let me, let me just sort of uh, outline that a little, a little more for you. If, if we mourn, if we mourn, we'll be comforted now. Second Corinthians tells us that, right? If we mourn, God's spirit will come. He'll, he, uh, the, the body of Christ will gather around us and we'll be comforted now. But will we be fully comforted? No. There will still be times of mourning in our life throughout this life. The day will come when we'll be fully comforted, when every tear will be wiped and everything will go away. That won't happen now. It will happen now to some measure, but not, not fully. Um, if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll be filled now. We'll be filled with God's Spirit now. But will we be fully filled? No. We'll, we'll be filled. What happens with the Holy Spirit in our lives today? We get filled up, and then what happens? kind of run down, don't you? you? You run down, and then what happens? You've got to get filled up again, and then it runs down, and then we've got to get filled up again, and then it runs down. So we'll be filled, but we won't be fully filled. Now, the day will come, one day in eternity with him, we'll be filled, and they will never run out. It's always going to be there. It's going to be good to go. But in the meantime, there's that dynamic of yes, now, and not yet that's happening in our lives. If, if we're pure in heart, We'll see God now. We talked about this, right? If, if I have an undivided heart, if my attention is fo- focused purely on Christ, um, I see God. And, and I, we talked about it. We see him all over the place, don't we? Uh, when your heart is pure, when you're focused on God, you begin to see his presence. You see him in people. You see him in relationships. We see him in creation. You know, you see those, the, the beauty of creation. And you, just, you see God in that. I, I'm weird. I see him in books. I know probably most of you don't, but I do. I'm, I'm re- I read all the time, and I'm, uh, uh, you know, I told you I'm reading John Stott's commentary on the Sermon on the Mount for this series, and I'm reading that book, and I'm just going, oh, oh I get these goosebumps. It's like I see God in there. But do I see God fully? No, we don't. First Corinthians tells us that. Uh, we see through a glass darkly. We see dimly. We don't see all there is to see of God. The day will come when we'll see him fully. But in the meantime, we do see him, but we don't see him fully. So there's a now and a not yet. There's, there's, a, there's a present and future dynamic to the blessedness of the kingdom. There will be a day when the kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. It will be fully manifest. God's rule, God's reign, God's presence will totally dominate the entire earth, and everything will be under his control. And that day will come, and I promise, and it's going to be good. It's going to happen. But until then, we live in what I like to call the tension of the kingdom. There's a tension. Uh, God's kingdom is manifest to some measure, but 
but it's not full yet. It's not fully released yet. And by design, here's the deal, by design, we're required to continue to press in, to continue to seek him, to continue to walk out in him. And these characteristics of discipleship will continue to develop and mature and be grown in our lives. And, and that's the nature of the kingdom of God. And, and to be quite honest, I, I know there, there, there is teaching, there's those that would maintain that the kingdom of God, you can have it fully now. And I would just say that's a distortion of the gospel. That's a lack of understanding of the fundamental nature of the kingdom of God. Uh, we can't have it all now. That's just not the way it works. We press in to get as much as we can now. There's always more we can get now. We're never as far in as we can be, but it'll, it won't be all completely done until he returns and we're with him. All right, that's my intro. Let's pray. <laughs> I love you guys. Uh, Father, thank you. Uh, open your word to us today. Uh, we're blessed, God. We're blessed just to, to be able to look into your word and learn and grow in you. Uh, help me speak uh, intelligibly. Amen. I told people earlier this week, we'll see what happens when you teach on pain medicine. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. Uh, so here's the point. If we cultivate a, a life in sync with God now, then we, we, we ultimately will know a life in sync with God later. But let's be honest, not everything is in sync with God right now, is it? And we bump up against that all the time. We bump up against that in society all over the place, right? The world around us, our culture, uh, there, there are any number of ways in which it's not in sync with God. But if we're going to be really honest, the truth is uh, we bump up against it in our own lives. So there are certain things inside of me that aren't in sync with God either. Um, and so we understand that it's that God's... When, I love that. I love the hope that when God's kingdom is fully manifest in eternity with him, I'll finally get it all right. That's good news, right? I mean, isn't that, you, you don't have to deal with every, you guys, if you're like me, oh, I, uh, I can't believe I did that again. Um, but you know what I'm saying, that it's going to happen one of these days. Uh, but right now it's not, and let me, this is what Paul calls life in the flesh, okay? Life in the flesh. Um, and life in the flesh is the predominant MO, the modus operandi of our culture, right? Life, it, it's not just, when he talks about the flesh, it's not just our body. It, it, it is our body to a, to a measure, but it's more than our body. It's a paradigm. It's a worldview. It's a way of looking at and living life. And, and frankly, it's a deception. It's, it's an inaccurate way of looking at life. It's, it's living as though things that are true are not true, and things that are not true are true. For example, um, and I'll, meet, I'll just say, let me say this. This is why we call this series Blessed Revolution, it's because, because as a revolution, what we're doing is we're pushing back against that. We're pushing back against that life and that culture and saying, no, we're going to revolt against that by walking out our life in Christ as disciples in him. That, that's what we're doing. So uh, when we... When we it's living, okay, so it's living our life as though there is no God, right? It, it, how many of you, if you believed in your heart there was no God, would live your life differently than you do today? Well, I would. Yeah, we would live differently. So it's living life as though there is no God, as though you make your own 
choices and decisions. You call your own shots. It's, scripture says we are a new creation in Christ. Well, the, the worldview says you're not a new creation. Uh, it says, God says every single person is of inestimable value. They're, they're, there's an unlimited value on this life. And it's living our life as though that's not true, as though that person's not that valuable, and I don't really care that much about them. Uh, it, it's, it's living as though I really am the Lord of my own life, that I do what I want, I call my own shots, I, I direct the course of my life. That's what this is talking about. That's life in the flesh, is living as though uh, what is true isn't true. I'll try to illustrate that for you a little bit. So following, if we're following Christ, we're disciples, the natural consequences are the kingdom of God, which is things like comfort, mercy, being filled, seeing God, etc., will be manifest in our life. Life in the flesh, if we live that way, the natural consequences are the works of the flesh, which are things like brokenness, violence, greed, immorality, etc. Those things will be manifest in our life. When we're following Christ, the natural consequences of following him uh, is the kingdom of God. Mercy, comfort, those, those things will be, will, will be what marks the course of our life. I, I love, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul calls this the aroma of Christ. I, I love that. This is one of my favorite little passages. Second uh, Corinthians, did I say 1 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians 2. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Let me just comment. The, the image there is captives being led out of exile back into their homeland, okay? Um, leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Isn't that beautiful? For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. This is, this is really another way of saying being salt and light. Okay? Salt and light are influence in our culture, right? I love it. It's all sensory. Uh, if we're salt, it's taste. We make food tastier. We make, we make life a little tastier by following after Jesus. If we're light, it's visual. We make the world a little uh, brighter. We can see better. People can see better. Uh, if, if we're the aroma of Christ, we, we're, it's, what is that called? What's this? What is it? Olfactory. Well, yeah, okay. Man. We, we make the world smell better. We make the world smell better. The aroma of Christ. It's life to those who receive it as Christ. It's death to those who reject it. It's beautiful, though. It's a beautiful image, I think, just to, the idea that we, are the, we carry with us the aroma of life. I love that. Um, I want to try to illustrate this. Uh, I'll, I'll go as fast as I can uh, with a few of the Beatitudes in specific just to give you an idea of, of how, how this looks when you break it down a little bit. So first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. And again, we know that the natural consequences of that are the kingdom of heaven. You remember when we talked about being poor in spirit early on in the series, um, I used uh, Eugene Peterson's definition from the message, and he said, uh, poor in spirit means at the end of your rope. It means that you have no resource in and of yourself to give anymore, that you, you don't, it's not in me, I can't do it, I can't make it, I need help. It's that, that admission. So the contrast, what would the opposite of that be? The opposite of, of acknowledging my need for God would be self-reliance or independence. I can do this on my own. And the, the ultimate outworking, if you work independence out long term, 
uh, the outworking of that is isolation and loneliness. Okay? Uh, independence, let me say this, is a fundamental feature of life in a fallen world. Um, in the fog of the flesh, when we're not seeing God, we're not living as though God is in control, we forget about our dependence on God, and we begin to think, oh, I got it. I got this. I can do this. And the result of that is that we, we don't give thanks. That does not cultivate gratitude in our hearts. Let me tell you that. Uh, it, it, what it does is instead, it cultivates a sense of entitlement. Uh, you know, the government owes me. Uh, my boss owes me. Uh, my, this guy over here owes me. Life itself owes me. That, that's, that's the, that really is the outworking of that independent spirit, is a sense of entitlement. Everybody owes me something. And I'm going to be really honest right now and just say, I believe in America, we tend to uphold that as a value. We admire independence. Uh, I think, oh, Jesus. I think this is another point where we confuse American ideology with biblical truth. And in fact, we, I don't think we can confuse them as much as we try to fuse them. We try to make American ideology fit biblical truth, and it just doesn't fit. In America, we're so proud of ourselves because we're independent. We're pioneers, America. Uh, we, we're, we're great. We can do it on our own. You know, I just, I just, I look at that and I go, you know what, the end, the end game is isolation and loneliness. You're out by yourself out there on your own. Get the hell off my property. That's the end game. Is that what you want? That's not what I want. I like you. Come over, hang out. I want to be with you. That's not what I want. I don't need God and I don't need people. Uh, here's the deal. Let me just, we were created to need God and need people. Okay, We were created to be dependent upon God and really to need one another. The body is many parts, remember? The body is many parts. We're not all a foot. We're not all a knee, thank God. Um, we're all different and we're interdependent. I can't do this on my own. Whatever part I am, and it doesn't matter how important my part is, it's still a part. And I need you, and I need your part, and I need your part, and I need your part. And together, we have something that's precious and beautiful, uh, whereas independently, what we have is broken parts. Okay? Remember Ezekiel's dry bones, and what happened? They came together. They came together. Um, <laughs> Genesis, it's not good to be alone, okay? It's all through Scripture. It's all through Scripture. The body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. Without God and without one another... There's a vacuum that is created inside of us, and really it's more than a vacuum. If you ask me, it's a huge gaping hole in our soul. That's what independence does. When we're dependent on God, we acknowledge it comes from Him. Do you know what the outcome of that is? It's thankfulness. It's gratitude. When I realize I'm dependent on God, I'm thankful for everything. The, the, the more dependent on God I am, the more grateful I become. I have a job. Thank God I have a job. Okay? You know, I can see you today. I have eyesight. Thank God I can see you. There's food on my table. Thank God there's food on my table. Stuff like this cracks me up. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to blame it all on the meds. Government didn't build my business. I did. Uh, I'm not going to touch that on a political level, although it would be fun. Um, 
But I'll give, okay, let me say, if I give you the first part, okay, let's say government didn't build your business, you did. Let me tell you what, you did because God allowed you to. You did because God gave you the, the skill and the knowledge and the resource. You did because God gave you the ability to build that business. And instead of being so damn self-righteous, you should really be thanking God that you have that business. It's fine, you can get away with anything. I didn't say that. I say, I didn't say that. <laughs> what happens is you're not entitled, you're grateful. That's a huge difference. See, natural consequences, the kingdom of heaven, will produce gratitude in our life. The natural consequences, the works of the flesh, isolation and loneliness, will, will produce entitlement in our life. Um, it's, it, it's good to need God. It's, it's, it's good to need people. Can I tell you that? It's good to need people. It really is. Not, I, I, we, we don't get... We don't get our identity from that. I don't get my value. It doesn't matter. It's not, I don't need to know that 75 people like me. Like, 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 like. That's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're, what we're talking about, though, is appropriate relationship. We're talking about fellowship, community. It, it's good to need one another. It's okay. It's good to need one another. It's, it's good to acknowledge that I need help. I need, I need you. I can't make this on my own. You know, I'll just... I'm going to keep going because, so, you know, I need you, you need me. Again, that's what happens when you do this on drugs. Um, uh, We'll move on. Uh, Let's look at another one. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Um, We we define meekness earlier in our series as being unpretentious. It's not... Uh, exercising undue control in inappropriate ways, right? That's what meekness is. Uh, if you don't remember th- that message, you might want to go back and listen to that because uh, I think it's important to understand what meekness really is, not how it's sometimes interpreted uh, culturally. So, blessed are the meek, for they will in- in- inherit. They will inherit the earth. What would the opposite of being meek be? The opposite would be being controlling. And what are the natural consequences of being controlling? Two things happen when you're controlling. One, it creates conflict. Uh, anybody that's worked under a controlling person or been in a relationship, you realize it creates conflict. Two is it creates oppression. I, I, I work in uh, Nicaragua, and it's one of, it's, they've been under oppressive, controlling governments for 100 years, and you, you, the result is you see one of the most oppressed people. It just create, that's what control does, is it creates that. So what does it mean... I, I love this. This is a side note, but I'm going to give it to you anyway because it's just so cool. What does it mean to inherit the earth? Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Uh, let me say this, that the, in ancient Israel, ancient Hebrew culture, th- there was not, they did not have a concept of a planet the way that we do. When we hear that term, inherit the earth, we think immediately of an inheritance that somebody's going to give us, and that inheritance is this planet, right? That's what we think. And in, a, in general ways, that, that's correct. But here's the concept. They, they, the word there actually is not earth. L- literally, the, world, the word is land. They will inherit the land. And land, in, in the Old Testament, in, in ancient Hebrew culture, the land is a very, very important concept. It's a very important concept. Now, if you were, think for a moment, uh, you know, as an as an ancient Israelite, if you're living in Old Testament times, and you heard that phrase, inherit the land, what would come to your mind? What would you immediately think of? The promised land. Very good. Bing, gold star for lands. The promised land. 
that which God said he would give us, that's the inheritance that you get if, if you're meek. Um, the, the blessing here is to receive the promised land that God said we would have. That will be given to those that are meek. Jesus turns everything upside down. I love this. Think about it. In the Old Testament, how did the Israelites inherit the promised land? How did they get into the promised land? War, violence, bloodshed. They had to kill all their enemies, right? And then once they got in there, what happened? They had to keep killing their enemies. How does, in, in, in the new covenant, in, in the blood of Christ, how do we inherit the earth? How do we get into the promised land? By being meek. It's a complete reversal. Uh, but bonus question. Bonus question today. Um, where's the promised land? Huh? I, I think the promised land is anywhere the kingdom of God reigns. So yes, several of you said in our hearts, in our lives, it's in our lives. But it, it's not geographic so much as it is spiritual. It's anywhere the presence and, and rule of God is manifest. So that's the deal. Um, Jesus, let, can I, here's, let Jesus define your image of God. What does God look like? I just, look, if you look to Jesus, you can't go wrong, okay? Let Jesus define your image of God. Jesus was meek. Jesus did not exercise undue control or dominance or impression over others, even though he could have, right? Right? We all get that. He could have. I love this. This is one of my favorite little things right here. Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Roman soldiers... Roman soldiers are coming to arrest Jesus. The men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Peter immediately responds in the flesh, right? He's going to do the thing that we would do in the flesh. With that, one of Jesus' companions, Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And then he adds this, and this is the part I love. Do you think I cannot call my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? If I wanted to, I, I'm surprised actually he even said it. It's not the kind of thing Jesus says very often. He's kind of just saying, hey, look, let me just set the record straight here. Uh, a legion, uh, and he's speaking to Roman soldiers, and the reason that's important is because a, le a legion of Roman soldiers is about 6,000 men. So 12 legions of angels is about 72,000 angels. I don't even know what 72,000 angels looks like. But basically, Jesus is saying, if I want to, I'll kick your butt. Um, but he didn't. He didn't do that. What he did do is, if you remember, literally hours prior, he put a towel around his waist and he washed the feet of the men that he knew were going to betray him and and abandon him and deny him, okay? Let's keep that in mind. As Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, he knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew Peter was going to deny him. He knew that they were all going to scatter. Not one of them would stand by his side, and he washed their feet anyway. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I'm going to go ahead and do this. I don't care. Uh, five more minutes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, so this is verse 10. This is the, the bottom half of that inclusio, if you remember, uh, the, the final sort of uh, beatitudes picking up 
really where Kevin left off last week after verse 9, which, by the way, thank you, Kevin. Always does a wonderful job taking care of business when I'm not here. Um, And the reason I think it's important to include this is this. I want to say what Jesus is saying here is this, and, and this is sort of what I think we can take away maybe from this whole series is that if you choose to live this way, if, if you choose to follow Christ and, 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 and there, therefore the Beatitudes are the markers of your life, that's the things that are manifest in your life because of following him, if you choose to do that, there's a, there's a very high probability that you will be persecuted. Probably along the way you will face some persecution for that. The, um, if, if, there were, if there were a contrasting dynamic, a fleshly dynamic with this, I think it would be to become people pleasers rather than to be persecuted. People, if, we, if we want to please everyone, we're, we're trying to avoid persecution, right? We want everyone to like us. That's when how many likes you get really does matter. Um, we want everybody to like you. But we're not called to be like that. We're called to be different. Peter says aliens. Uh, we're called to be aliens. You see, here's the thing. If you follow Christ you'll stand out. You'll, you'll be different than the crowd. I mean, all of those, I remember those t-shirts about 20 years ago, you know, go against the flow and all that. That's really true. You'll stand out. You'll be different than the culture around us. Um, it's really, really hard to seek popularity and get everybody to like you when you have to make a stand for things that are different, isn't it? I mean, the truth is this, there may be persecution. You might lose your job because you refuse to do something unethical that you've been asked by a superior to do. That, that's, perse- that's real persecution. That could happen. You might be scorned or ridiculed or mocked or made fun of if you, are un- or if, if you uh, choose to, to, to live you know, in abstinence prior to marriage. If you say, that's, that's a standard in my life that I'm going to live by and walk by, uh, people may not like that. They may m- make fun of you for that. You, you might not be understood... And if you if you choose to live your life in generosity rather than you know hoarding and gathering for yourself and making sure you have enough, people won't understand that. You know, you say somebody says, "Well, I need a car." You go, "Well, I have a car. You can have my car." And people, go, what the hell? How can you do that? How do you do that? No, no, that's just what God's called me to do. And people aren't going to understand that. You're going to be different. You're going to stand out. Um, can I say the outcome of popularity seeking is really this? It, 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 what, what happens is there begins to be an us-them mentality. Have you noticed that? You can't sit with us. Why? Because we're cool. We're over here. We're cool. And you're over here, and well, you're not so cool. So there's, there's this division that takes place. And what happens, and I'm gonna, I want to just play this out for you. I, this is what I think is, goes on in our culture all the time, and I think sometimes we embrace it. When we develop an us-them mentality it becomes really easy to blame people who are different than us for all the problems of our society. If the people that aren't like us would go away, it would all be okay. Gay people are seeking equal rights right now, but if we just get rid of them all, then we wouldn't have the problems we have in our culture today. I think, you know, I mean, if we just get rid of all the gays and the Mexicans and all the Middle Easterners and just put up a wall and get rid of them all and send them all away, then everything will be okay right? Let me tell you, that's not the aroma of life. That's the stench of death. That's the stench of death. We are called to tear down the wall of hostility. Can, would you give me my Bible, John? I, I, I didn't have this in my notes, but I, during worship this morning, I, just was, I want to read that passage. It's in Ephesians 2. It's powerful. 
uh, talking about before relationship with Christ, Paul says, remember, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has destroyed who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. We are called to tear down the wall of hostility. We're not called to build the wall of hostility. That's death. That's not life. So let me just close. We we went over and I apologize and I thank you for hanging with me. The Beatitudes are Jesus' definitive statements of what it looks like to follow him to be his disciple. That's what these are. They're not rewards for good behavior. They're the natural consequences of a life in Christ. They are kingdom qualities that result in kingdom realities. Okay? Let's stand.